Well, good morning, church, and happy 151st birthday. Uh, I hope you come back this afternoon to celebrate. Hope you saw the decorations in the atrium. We're going to have a good time. Uh, 3.30 today, we'll be celebrating our 151st birthday, because on November 12, 1871, uh, four families, 15 people, gathered in a living room. They read the first chapter of Acts. They talked about it. They prayed together. They sang three songs, took communion, and they started this. And then they did it week after week after week. They loved God. They loved everyone. They made disciples. and They told the story about Jesus and invited people to join them. And today we serve as the beneficiaries of that legacy. Uh, We also serve as the beneficiaries of their faithful generosity, which makes a birthday Sunday a pretty good Sunday to be in the middle of the series we're in right now, How to Share Your Fries. Uh, If you're a guest with us today, um, we don't talk about giving every Sunday, um, but we do talk about it every two or three years. Um, We're we're not embarrassed about that because Jesus wasn't. Jesus teaches us that our decisions regarding the stewardship of God's resources that God puts in our hands are spiritual decisions. And so every once in a while, we're going to talk about them. I will apologize up front. Today's sermon is going to be... um, unusually teachy and explainy for me. A lot of content I want to cover uh, because our goal today is really simple, just to kind of learn what is it the Bible actually says about how we should order our giving. So we got a lot of things to cover. Before I jump into that, uh, we had one announcement uh, left out of the bulletin. I want to make sure you hear about um, a really wonderful program called Grief Share offers a seminar every year. We do this. It's called Surviving the Holidays. It's for those uh, that have lost a loved one and for whom the holidays are particularly difficult. Um, It's coming up November 15th. If that's relevant to you and you want that, you can stop by the connection kiosk or call the church and we'll get you all the details on that. Uh, It's a really useful program. I've heard from a lot of people how helpful that is. So that's Grief Share, Surviving the Holidays. It's November 15th. Maybe that'll be useful to you. All right, let's jump in. So last week we kicked things off with sort of a theological foundation to why we would even want to share our fries. Why would we even bother sharing our fries. Uh, we, we, we talked about the fact that none of us instinctively share our fries, right? Well, what we said last week was God owns all the fries. We are stewards of God's fries. We're in charge of the fries that God owns. And that what we do with God's fries either steers our heart toward God When we do God's things with God's money, it brings us closer to God. Or it steers us away from God. When we do selfish things with God's money, it brings us away from God. And so we just said that there's there's spiritual things at stake here. And so that's why we would do it God's way. So if if that's true, if, if God owns all the fries and we're stewards and what we do with God's money affects our spiritual life, It makes sense that we would then, as God's stewards, go to God and say, all right, how do you want me to manage your stuff? And that's that's what we're doing today. That's that's what today is. It's just going to ask him that how question.
question. And we won't get to near everything the Bible says about how God wants us to manage it, but we're going we're gonna to lock in on a few specific questions related to the how does God want us to give? What does the Bible say about how God wants us to give, especially our giving to the work of God's kingdom, the work of God's church? How does God want us to give? And so let's just learn a few things. Here's where I would start. The Bible consistently says that we must first decide to give, and we must decide to give first. For almost every point we're going to make today, it isn't like I could find one or two texts that make this point. All of this stuff is stuff that the Bible says all over the place. We could find dozens of texts for every one of the points we're going to cover today. Uh, you could look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. You've got to decide to give. You've got to sit down, make a plan, and choose to give. Not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What the Bible makes clear is that our giving is not intended to be an afterthought. It's not about what we have left over. Rather, it's an intentional decision to participate in the work of God's kingdom. So first, we must decide to give. But, but also, the Bible makes it clear that we are to decide to give first. If you were to just decide to make a study of what the Bible says about giving, you would very quickly run into this concept that shows up in... I don't know, eight or nine dozen places in the Bible. It's this concept of first fruits. It's taught everywhere. It's taught in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New Testament. And the concept is simple. Whenever God puts more fries in your hands, the first thing God expects you to do is to give from what God has given you. It's all over Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It's the New Testament. It's everywhere that our, the first decision we make about our money is not our mortgage, it's not how big a house we live in, it's not how fancy a car we drive, it's not you know, where we're going to go out, whether we're going to eat out more or cook more. The first decision we make with our money is how much we're going to give. We could look again at dozens and dozens of examples throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, here's just one of the simplest articulations of it in Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. In fact, almost every reference in the Old Testament to the harvest, to farming, to financial blessing, to almost every reference of God's provision in any way, includes a reminder to give first from whatever God has given. Now, this idea to give first to God is, of course, strategic. Um, I, we've been talking, we've used this metaphor last week about, uh, about, you know, a dad who buys his kid a large fry, and then the first thing the dad does is ask for some of the fries, and the kid refuses to share, and we kind of laughed about how silly that is. But honestly, these days, when I think about how to share my food, I have a different scenario in mind. The main person I need to share my food with these days is not my kid, but my wife. 
Most of my food sharing happens with my wife. Now, and I want to be clear, my wife is a very reasonable food sharer. Uh, I don't mind sharing food with my wife. Um, one of the things, my favorite thing about my wife is she always tells me that she wants to share my food when she wants. I never I don't have to guess. That's nice. That's helpful. But it is true that there are some challenges to sharing food with my wife. The biggest challenge is uh, that I eat super fast. That's the biggest challenge. And so she knows if she's interested in some of what I ordered at a restaurant, if I don't find out early in the arc of that meal, it's going to be gone. And regularly, I'll, I'll have a clean plate. I'll be kind of licking the plate, you know, getting the last. And she's like, oh, I was going to ask for a bite of that. The other thing, though, is sometimes when she does say, hey, can I have a bite of that? You know, we go to this restaurant, Babylon, over there, you know, on the other side of Target a lot. They have this eggplant stew. that I, We just love their eggplant stew. And uh, if I get eggplant stew and she gets something else, I just know she's going to want a bite of my eggplant stew. But here's what I've figured out. Once I get eating, I'm sort of an unstoppable force. And it can often happen, like, like I wish, this sounds so ridiculous, you would think this could only happen once in your life, but it hasn't happened once. It's happened many, many times that as I put the last bite of food into my mouth and my mouth begins to close over the spoon, I will say, oh, you want off? And she's like, no, I don't want it now. It's mostly in your mouth. Like, what do you know? I don't, but yes, I did want some. So here's what I've figured out. If I want to follow through on my intention to share my food with my wife, I've got to share first. Because if I share last, that food will be gone. And so if she says, like pizza, she likes to share pizza, but she has a favorite part of the pizza. It's where the cheese meets the crust. Like it's the ma not all crust, not all cheese. It's that magic spot. Well, again, for me, that's three quarters of the way through the slice. I don't stop eating three quarters of the way through anything. I'm just, wah, 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 and I'm like, oh, wah, wah, you know, it's too late. So what I've learned is if, if I really intend to share my pizza with my wife, I've just got to cut off, a, I've got to tear off what I plan to share first. And the Bible's very clear. This same strategy applies to sharing with God. If we decide we're going to share what's left over, well, there's not going to be as much left over as you thought. It's easy to just get spending our money, you know. It's also not just strategic because if you share first, you actually wind up sharing. It's also spiritually strategic. Because if what Jesus taught us is true, that how we use God's money steers our heart, where our treasure is, our heart will be also, then this is just true, that whatever gets your first dollar gets your heart. And so maybe you just need to ask yourself, if you're trying to really learn how to give the way the Bible calls us to give, maybe you need to ask this question today. Does God get what is left over after you've paid Netflix and after you've eaten out, after you've paid your mortgage, and then whatever's left over, God gets that? Or do you decide first because you actually made a decision? 
I'll just make this observation. And again, if this grates on you, then I would just urge you, go read the text, go study God's word. And if you find out I'm wrong, don't worry about it. Believe the Bible, not me. But I'll just tell you, as best I can tell, biblical giving is first dollar giving. Biblical giving, the first thing you do with your money is you decide what to give. And then you give first. I, 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 don't, I, I can't see a different argument from the text. Um, if I could, I'd live differently and I'd tell you differently. I just can't see one. All right, so first decide to give and decide to give first. That's the first thing we gotta learn. Here's the second thing we gotta learn. that The Bible teaches us consistently about how to give. We are to give freely an amount that you determine. Give freely an amount that you determine. Now, this is a little bit complicated because under the Old Testament law, there are lots of different kinds of offerings, and we'll talk about them. And some of the offerings were not freely determined gifts. Some of them had preset amounts. Here's an incomplete list of all the offerings from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 12, go to the place God chooses, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contributions, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your flocks. And every single one of those was a different specific offering that had regulations for it that we could go back in the Old Testament and find. And some of those offerings that we just read about, some of those were free will offerings. You determined they amount. Some of them were fixed in advance. Either they were percentages or there was, you know, if you do this wrong, you got to sacrifice two doves. It was actually the specific offering was giving. But many of the Old Testament offerings were free will offerings. And we see free will offerings throughout the Old Testament. Here's one, Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. They are to bring offerings are gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet, yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, fine leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spicers for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breast. Basically, whatever they have, really anything, basically, whatever you got, bring whatever you got. And this pattern of free will offerings freely determined and freely given, continues into the New Testament. Um, In Luke 19, there's a story of this guy named uh, Zacchaeus who has this amazing conversion experience and realizes that he has been uh, cruel to his neighbors, uh, disobeying God, and he has this, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And there's no indication that Jesus gave him that number. Uh, And so I would just say, for some of you, if you're kind of hoping that we can, you know, at the end of this, I'm going to tell you the number. You know, it's 30 bucks. That's what you got to give. You and God are clean. You give 30 bucks. Nope, that's not how this sermon ends. Um, Free offering, freely determined, freely given. 2 Corinthians 9, again, we'll return to 2 Corinthians 9 a lot because it's one of the most important biblical texts we have on Christian giving. Uh, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. We just talked about that, but you see that. It's a freely determined gift, freely given. Um, in fact, we, you, you're here, um, Ron just did it in our offering. We all the time say, none of us give under obligation. This is not dues that you're paying. This is not something like that. Freely given, freely determined. All right, first give, free give, 
Here's the next thing I would say. We've got to learn that we see all over Scripture. When we're managing God's fries, we're going to give regularly and responsively to the work of the church. Uh, these two words here are meant to describe two different kinds of giving. We will both give regularly, as in we'll give in a disciplined, consistent way to support the ongoing work of the church, and we will give responsively, meaning we'll give spontaneously in response to specific situations, and at least two are commonly described in Scripture. Let's talk about what we mean by regularly. Again, we see this Everywhere we look, we see regular and consistent giving. Acts chapter 4, this is the very, very beginning of the church. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And again, you look at Acts chapter 4, this, what Barnabas did, while it was amazing, it was also just normal. That was just what was happening. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, put aside something and store it up as you, may, as you are prospered. We'll talk about that in just, phrase in just a second. So that there will be no collecting when I come. When I arrive, I'll send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So, so one of the principles we see taught in Scripture is that our giving should be a consistent, ongoing investment, support of the work of God's church. But then we also, in addition to regular giving, we see responsive giving. And we see two kinds that are most frequently. There are other examples too, but I'll just talk about two that we see a lot. We see giving that is first fruits giving. We see responsive giving. When people have a windfall of financial blessing, they do what the Bible teaches and they give first. And, and we experience that as a church all the time, people giving in that responsive way. People who are regular givers, um, not long ago, it was probably three or four years ago, I got a call from a couple uh, here in the church, and they wanted to meet with me, and I could just tell by the, by the phone call that they were just positively giddy with excitement. Like, I didn't know what we were going to meet about. Like, in fact, if, if they hadn't already been married, I would have been sure that it was a couple saying, will you meet to, to marry us? Because they were just so excited. So we, we meet, and I'm like, okay, what are we, what is this secret meeting all about that you couldn't tell me about what it was on the phone? And you could just see how, how happy they were. They had, out of the blue, never expecting it, received a whole bunch of money. About equal to a year's salary for the two of them put together. Out of the blue, not expecting it. But they knew all this stuff we were talking about. And so what they had immediately done is they'd put that money in a special saving account, its own savings account, and they'd schedule a meeting with me. Because they knew the first thing they had to do was to decide how much of it they were going to give. And so they just wanted to know, what are some cool things here at the church that are going on that we could give to? Because we got to make sure we do it now. In fact, I remember the husband saying, we got to do it right away. Like, you got to come up with something in the next two or three weeks. Because I've already spent that money ten different times. And it sort of reminded me, eating eggplant stew. If I don't share the eggplant stew, I plan to share with my wife. If I don't share it first thing... 
That eggplant stew is gone. And he knew the same thing would happen to him. And so that's responsive giving. These people were regular givers. They were tithers to our church. But they also knew that God had given them a unique blessing and they needed to respond with unique generosity. The other kind of responsive giving we see described in Scripture is responding to unique needs. Uh, We see this in Acts chapter 11. Um, A a dude uh, comes to Antioch and says, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. We have to do something about it. And so we see the disciples, each as they were able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And again, this kind of responsive giving is also something we as a church just do a ton of. Uh, You may remember early this year, uh, in one Sunday, we gave $70,000 to um, care for orphans who were displaced from Mariupol in the Ukraine that are still being cared for today uh, because of that gift. Uh, Last year, we gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to launch a church in uh, Ecuador that is functioning today because of that gift. You saw the videos of... um, the, uh, the organizations that we'd helped with. And many of those organizations we supported through our regular giving, just ongoing support. But many of them we also had supported through responsive giving, responding to a particular need. And I guess here's what I would just observe is for a lot of us, one of the ways we're kind of stuck in our generosity is that we're not fully participating in both responsive giving and regular giving. Um, some of us just do the regular giving. And like when, when, it, when a need arises, we're like, yeah, sorry, I gave it the office. You know, I already, I got cut my check. I cut my check. And maybe what you need to do is, is open your heart to are these needs ways that you need to step in to a greater generosity. On the flip side, a lot of us are only participating in responsive giving. Sure, when we pitch a need from stage that gets you excited and you're like, oh, well, we're going to save the kids or whatever, that's, then you'll give to that. But you aren't investing the way we see described in Scripture in the ongoing, regular work of the church. And so it's important to notice what we see described in Scripture is both regular giving and responsive giving, responding to needs, but also responding to God's provision and God's blessing. All right. I told you it was a lot. I know it's a lot. What else do we see consistently taught in Scripture? This is one of the most important principles. We see in Scripture we are taught to give proportionally and sacrificially in response to God, how God has blessed you. And again, Probably uh, second only to that principle of giving first, the first fruits principle, is this principle of giving proportionally and sacrificially in response to how God has blessed you. Again, I'm just going to look at a couple examples, but again, this is another one we could find dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of examples of reminders of this principle. Um, Second Corinthians, again, I told you there's a lot about giving in Second Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church to tell them to finish the gift that he talked about that we just read about in 1 Corinthians, the one where he said to set aside something each week. He says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And here's this phrase, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, 
not according to what one does not have. Jesus, along this same theme, tells the story of a woman who put in two of the smallest coins, less than two pennies, put in the free will offering as she entered the temple. And Jesus says that offering, but less than two pennies, is worth more than all the wealth that others gave. Because for her, it was everything. And this is what Paul says. The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. This phrase, according to what one has or according to your ability, Paul here is quoting a phrase that we see used in the Old Testament over and over and over over and over again to teach us about proportional giving. Deuteronomy 16, this is a chapter describing all kinds of different offerings. Three times a year, all your men must appear. Women, you're off the hook on this one. All your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of the unleavened bread, the festival of the weeks, the festival of the tabernacles, and no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift as you are able in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Now, when we talk about the principle of proportional giving, uh, one of the most important examples we have of this principle of proportional giving is the example of the tithe. Uh, The tithe uh, refers to a set of Old Testament and Old Covenant laws that in different ways and at different times required people to give a tenth of their wealth and income. It's complicated. There was more than one tithe. There were some tithes you did every year and some tithes you did less often. And as we saw, there were also lots and lots of free will offerings. But this idea of the tithe was one of the consistent parts of the Old Covenant and their approach to giving. Now, I want to be perfectly clear. Directly applying, directly applying Old Testament laws about tithing to our present situation is complicated for several reasons. One is because many of the Old Testament tithes were almost like we would think of as taxes. They were government collections designed to support the government religious infrastructure, which we don't have. It's also inappropriate to directly apply some of the laws about the tithe to us because we are not under the law in the same way. We are not living under the covenant. We are not liable to kosher laws. We are not liable to work and Sabbath laws. And in the same way, we are not under the law of tithes in the same way. Under God's law, all these tithes were part of a covenant that if broken, God says, if you break my covenant, I'll punish you. And if you keep my covenant, I will bless you. And we are not under the old covenant in the same way because of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, We see this covenant context for tithing in texts like Malachi 3, which we read a little bit of yesterday. I'll read a little bit more of it uh, just to give you a sense of what I'm talking about. Malachi 3, verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. 
return to me and I will return to you. This is old school covenant talk. This is the way the covenant works, says the Lord Almighty. But you might ask, how are we to return? Well, will a mere mortal rob God? But you rob me. And again, you might ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings. And here we see the two kinds. We've talked already about how there were two kinds of giving in the Old Testament. There were free will offerings and there were fixed dollar giving. And so that's this reference, tithes and offerings, to both these kinds of giving. In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So this is what Malachi says. Malachi says, you're failing to keep the covenant with regarding to tithing, fixed dollar giving, and offerings. And because of that, the judgment of God is upon you. Now, we are not under the covenant in the same way. And this is why what we see carried over and taught in the New Testament is the emphasis on free will offerings proportionally given and we do not see the tithe reimposed as a law on Christians. So there, there you go. However, there are a few things I want to notice. While the tithe is not retaught to Christians as a law, proportional giving absolutely is. Giving in proportion to what God has given you. And mathematically, there is no easier way to do proportional giving than to do percentage giving. That's the, the beauty about percentage giving. If you make a little bit, a percentage of a little bit is a little bit. And if you make a lot, a percentage of a lot is a lot. It's, it's built in proportional giving. The second thing I'll say about the tithe is this. If those who lived under the old covenant were expected to both tithe on what God gave them and prevent, present free will offerings as an act of worship above the tithe. And those under the old covenant knew nothing of the grace of Christ and all that God would do for us through Jesus. I will just say it seems odd to me today that our response today would be less generous than their response then. And I know to people who have never tried tithing, the fact that I would suggest that sounds crazy. Like I know, I mean, tithing, the word means 10%. And I know the fact that I would suggest that you might give 10% of your, everything God gives you, you might give 10% of that to the work of God's kingdom. If you've never tried it, that sounds insane. And you're sitting there thinking, Ethan, do you have any idea how much money that is? Uh, well, I don't know exactly how much money it is to you, but I know how much money it is to me. It's a lot of money. But when I read Paul talk about generous giving, Paul, who grew up a Jew, who grew up keeping the law, who grew up faithful to the covenant, and then he writes about what generous giving is supposed to look like, I honestly can't imagine Paul is describing, well, you listen to this. 
You tell me if Paul, who grew up a faithful Jew, could be describing something less than tithing when he writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. That's there. That's that proportional giving phrase again. And even beyond their ability, so even beyond proportional giving, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's so much in that. First of all, there's, I just can't imagine Paul would write that to describe people who weren't tithing. I just, not somebody who grew up a Jew, but the, I also, I love that phrase. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord because Paul knows that generous giving steers our hearts. That's the thing we talked about last week. So just as a matter of testimony, I will never sell, tell anybody you have to tithe. That isn't the way we work under Christ. Uh, you are saved by grace. What you have to do is trust in Jesus. That's what you have to do. But I will say, I simply can't imagine not tithing. I, just for my own, my own personal walk with Jesus. Um, and I think for a lot of Christians, if you're looking for a place to start, like I want to get, I, I, you know, you're like, maybe some of this is persuasive to you or I'm, I'm just so glossing over. I mean, again, I could re be reading so much more and maybe you're like not persuaded by this, but you go study it later and you become persuaded and you're like, where should I start? And for me, when people do ask me that question, I always say, well, start with tithing. Uh, that's what I'd just do. I would just say, and what does that mean? It just means that every dollar God gives you, 10% of it you give back to the work of God's kingdom. That, that's, that's where I would start. And what Paul indicates is that for many of us, that is just where to start. Um, and and it's, it's barely enough. I mean, again, the, what the Old Testament describes is people who tithed and then tithed again and then gave free will offerings on top of that. And maybe that's, you know, where I need to be. And maybe that's where some of you uh, need to be. Don't do it because you feel obligated, okay? Don't do it. These are free will offerings freely given. If it's not a free will offering freely given, it doesn't anchor your heart, okay? Our hearts are not anchored by what we do begrudgingly and bitterly. God wants your heart more than your money. But for me, at least, this principle of proportional giving is so consistently taught, and the tithe, the tithe is the easiest way to do that. Again, if, that, if that's just too much for you to handle, you're, you come talk to me. I don't know. I, I, it just makes sense to me, and I think it's, I think it's a, a fair, a faithful response to what God's Word teaches. All right, let's think about one more thing. One more thing. The Bible teaches us how, well, it teaches us how to give. It teaches us to give in gratitude as an act of worship to express thanksgiving and magnify God's glory. I said we'd hear from 2 Corinthians occasionally, and we have already three or four times in this sermon. Let's, let's let Paul cover this one, okay? The Bible teaches us to give in gratitude as an act of worship to express thanksgiving and magnify God's glory. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll let Paul take this one. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. We've read this verse a couple times already. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. If you're worried today that you want to be more generous and you don't know how, just be generous with what you have and trust that God will allow you to be more generous in the future. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, our generosity will result, here it is, generosity turns into worship, result in thanksgiving to God. Because this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you see how Paul teaches that our generosity with God's wealth turns into worship? It turns into thanksgiving and it becomes a testimony to others of the glory of God. Well, I'm troubled because there's so much more we could learn. And even about the points that I made, I, I barely scratched the surface of what the Bible teaches them, but probably we should summarize. Give freely an amount that you determine. Okay? That is absolutely what the Bible teaches. Give regularly and responsively to the work of the church. Give proportionally as God makes you able to give, give, but also give sacrificially in response to how God has blessed you. And give in gratitude as worship to express thanksgiving to God. And then I'll end where we began. First decide to give, and then decide to give first. And maybe this would be my challenge to you. Um, if you've been practicing afterthought generosity, I would, I would challenge you on that. There's nothing in the Bible that supports afterthought generosity, leftover generosity. Again, I, I know what I have to do. If I want to share my eggplant stew with my wife, I have to, the very first thing, push over to the edge of the plate, a little bit of jasmine rice, and a few tablespoons of stew. That's for Betsy. I'm not going to eat all the rest as fast as I want to eat. I'll have mine done before she's taken two bites. And, and for me, at least, the same thing is true with my generosity to God. Uh, I love the way that husband put it. He says, you've got to come up with something quick because I've already spent this money four different ways. But we know we want to give first. 
So I would just say, if you haven't sat down to think about your generosity in a while, it's probably time you did. Do what a steward would do, right? A steward would sit down and they would take an account of all the wealth they've been given to manage. All the income, all the stuff. And then they would just have a conversation with the owner. How do you want me to manage this wealth? You'll have to decide to give. If you haven't made that decision, if you've just sort of let it come to you, well, then you haven't been a steward yet. So be one now. And if you want to then follow through on that decision, you'll have to decide to give first to God. Just, just do what Paul wrote. Each of you, give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm just going to pray now that, that if you want to live like a steward, I'm going to pray that maybe in the next few weeks you would actually do this. You would set aside time to make a plan and make a decision about how you're going to contribute to the work of God's people because I think that's what God's words calls us to do. Let me pray for you. God, help us to live like stewards who intentionally use your money in your ways and who have decided to prioritize what we will give back to the work of your kingdom because that's what you teach us to do. Some of us need to have conversations with our families or just sit down and go over our budget and our bank account and make a plan. Some of us have never done that. We've just been doing, we've been doing leftover giving for years, God, and didn't even know that wasn't the way to do it. And so maybe, maybe you would just raise in us conviction. If there are people who need help or advice or counselors, may they find those, God, quickly so that they can decide to intentionally give generously, trusting that their generosity will turn into worship and magnify your glory. This is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.